Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. My academic career started at Cal State Fullerton. And in those days when you went to college, you, you didn't apply to 10 schools and then hope for the best. Uh, it, it just wasn't that way. That's how it was for my children. But for, for me, I, I, I had a choice between UCI and Cal State Fullerton. And candidly, I wasn't smart enough to get into UCI. And my father wouldn't let me go to Concordia because it was too close to home and it just wasn't the, the school that it is now. He said, Timothy, you need, to, you, you, you need to get up and get out. So I went and started in 1982 at Cal State Fullerton. And it was fun. I went with my friend Eric, and we went and played a lot of Tempest. You can Google the video game Tempest, and it was all kind of rudimentary back then. And, and I bumped through that first Monday morning at Cal State Fullerton, and then went into my econ class. And the econ professor was a gentleman named Dr. Gamusio. And maybe some of you had him in, in your MBA classes because he was a graduate prof, and he was a little bit nutty. It was a year the Milwaukee Brewers beat the Angels in the playoffs, and he was a Milwaukee guy, and that was silly. But one thing he was not silly about was teaching econ. That was without a doubt, except for Hebrew, the toughest course I have ever taken in my life. The first test, I got a 36 out of 100. And at first, I lamented that and said, I am never going to make it through college. I better double down in my restaurant career and learn to sweep floors because I got no chance making it through Cal State Fullerton. The high, uh, the high score on the first test was 39, and the median score was 36. The first thing Dr. Gamusio said when he came out of, of the, into, the, into the classroom in September of 1982 when there was some inflation and some uh, stagflation going on and people were waiting in line to buy gas, he said, always remember, class, the number one rule of economics, T-N-S-T-A-A-F-L, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And I remembered that for almost 40 years. No such thing as a free lunch. At some point, somebody's paying for everything. Nothing is free. We talk about free this even last night as we gave water away to people walking into, into, into the street fair. We said, have some free water. And all the while, I'm thinking, it's not really free. I saw the budget line item. It's not free. People said, what can we give you? We said, nothing. But there's no such thing as a free lunch. Everybody costs Everything costs something to somebody somewhere. There's no such thing as a free lunch. I ended up with a B in that econ class. And I will tell you, of all of the things from my doctor of ministry work to basic baccalaureate work, that class was impactful. And that professor was nutty. He told us that he lost the draw in the graduate school uh, teacher's lounge, and he had to teach Econ 101, but boy, did he do a nice job. The Word of the Lord from Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 35, which Sue read for us just beautifully this morning. Jesus has got a large crowd with them, 
And he starts talking and he said, if, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross cannot be my disciple. And then he speaks of building a tower and counting the costs on that, which if you've ever done anything in your home, you know exactly what he's talking about. So that when the change orders come in on the kitchen or the bathroom or the tile or the floor, or the landscaping or whatnot, you can look back at the guy and say, you did the estimate, you knew the cost, you knew what was going on. Another 75 grand because you got problems getting tile is not my problem, right? Counting the cost. Or what about going to war? The general looks back and says, I got this division and that division in this army, and I got tanks and cruise missiles and B-52s. I'm ready to go. Instead of saying, well, let's see, uh, let's see how it goes. I wonder if I've got enough guys to send into battle to win. There's no such thing as a free lunch, right? We're counting costs all the time. Those of us who, who see retirement coming on the horizon, you count the costs in a whole different way than you did in your mid-30s. For those who are raising grandchildren and loving grandchildren, it's a different level of cost than it is raising your own kids. Parents have to pay for all the stuff of life, of food and clothing and tuition and birthday parties and all of those things. Grandparents get to buy all the fun stuff, trucks and trucks and trucks, and it's just fun, right? There's no such thing as a free lunch. Nothing's free. And Jesus highlights that for us here. As we finish out Luke's gospel for us, we preached over the summer. And I want to share just for a minute, I, I think I'm a better Christian having preached on these texts this summer. There's something about them that's hard. There's something about it that it, it, it's not lovey, happy, Jesus, give me a hug. It's not this mushy, sentimental, yucky, shallow veneer of Christianity. Almost every text is fraught with, here's the hard part of the faith. Now, ramp your life up to this rather than, here's all the wonderful, miraculous, comforting things about following Jesus. And so it's appropriate that on Labor Day of, of 2022, the hottest day of the year, save maybe for yesterday, that we land on the, the apex of Jesus' ministry of being a church growth pastor. Because now those crowds are going to get small. Because he's got his face turned towards Jerusalem and to the cross. He's got one more piece that he's going to lead out on where he talks about a, 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 a coin and a lamb and a son. And if you want to read or listen to something beautiful before Jesus, before life gets tough, listen to Luke chapter 50 as Jesus speaks about his great love for the lost. Counting the cost. I paid $4.75 a gallon for gas this week at Costco. I thought they were giving it away. Count the cost. One Lutheran pastor who had to count the cost during the 30s and 40s was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. His book, The Cost of Discipleship, was one of about five books that changed my life. It was a book that my mom had given to me as I went from Cal State Fullerton to uh, Concordia College in St. Paul. 
because truth be known, I was on the long path to nowhere at Fullerton. And this book then sat in my library for quite a while until finally I started reading. And the book that got me reading and reading voraciously was um, uh, a Stein, Steinbeck novel about Tom Joad and, and those things. And then I picked up this book, The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, where he picks apart Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, the Beatitudes. And this is one of those marvelous texts in the first chapter of his book. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Now put yourself back into 1937, 38, 39, and what was going on in Europe militarily, politically, in terms of the faith. And you realize that when Bonhoeffer wrote something like this, not only was he tracking off all the German Lutherans, but he was also tracking off the clergy with whom he was one and in fellowship, and he was putting himself at odds with the state but he's talking about counting the cost. What does it cost to follow Jesus? Is it just this little, simple, easy thing where you kind of follow Jesus and it's no big deal? It's kind of like Christmas and, and Jesus gives you a present, you open the present and it's all great. Is it teddy bear Jesus where Jesus' job is to make you feel better about yourself and provide for you some relief from psychological angst? Because the church, since the post-war boom really seems to be dining on cheap grace. And now that grace and following Jesus seems to cost a little more, at least in the things I read in the podcasts that I follow, the church is, is, is trying to figure out what costly grace looks like. And here's the picture of it. It's having all the blessings without any of the cost but there's no such thing as a free lunch. And so post-Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Western Church, the, the pastors and the people of the congregations have been saying, what church gives me what I want? When the German people came over from Germany, they said, what church preaches the truth and how close is it to my farm? Because that's what matters. And now in 20th and 21st century America, people say, where can I get what I want? It's like going to the mall. I want a dynamic pastor with good music in a beautiful place, and when I can find it all, then I'll take it all and I'll consume it. That's an example of cheap grace. Or where am I the most comfortable? Your pastor asks you on the hottest day of the year. It's 76 in right now, 76 in here, and those, I can hear those things roaring on the top of Walker Hall. Where am I most comfortable? People agree with me. People think the way I do. People have the same political opinions as I do. Where am I that I can kind of fit in without having any problems and, and, and just kind of, you know, follow Jesus from afar? And where is a church that says everything I like and nothing I hate? And where's a pastor who's perfect? Because that's where I want to go and be comfortable. That's an example of cheap grace. 
or my favorite, what is the lowest bar, Pastor, to follow Jesus and keep the distance so I can just see Him on that next hill, but not make a life-changing commitment in my behavior, my thinking, or my words? Pastor, I hope that you get there just before I die because I'll confess my sins, you'll pray, and then I'll go to heaven. I've said this before, you better hope I make the right hospital call, and it's UCI, not St. Joe's, and you better hope, hope I hit every light getting down Chapman. Cheap grace. What's the lowest bar? What's the least common denominator? If it's God's job to forgive, it's my job to sin, right? And that last one, which is typically somewhat of a, of a human thing, well, then what's in it for me? I don't really want to pay too much. I want it like my Costco gas, but I want to have the Chevron service that goes with it. And Jesus says, think about the cost. What if this is not the worst time? What if this is the best time? What if through the time of COVID and the pandemic that we're more dependent on Jesus? What if God used COVID and God used the pandemic in a way that's brought us together in a way that bubbled all the yucky stuff to the top and burned it off? What if the church of Jesus Christ, having gone through what it's gone through in the last two and a half years, is not worse off for it, but is better off for it? Because the church has paid a price over the time of sacrificing things like worshiping together, of being gathered in community. And making sacrifices in a way that makes it a, a, a little more dependent on Jesus and a little bit about me. I know in our own congregation right now, we are more about other people than we are about ourselves. And you know what? That's an enormous change. And we're a little bit more precise about the cost because we talk about the cost more so than the benefits. And quite honestly, we have a congregation that's more willing to pay those costs and suffer and struggle rather than look and the first question always be, well, what's in it for me and how can I be comfortable? And what if, what if the whole Western church is spinning on that and as we move out of that sort of thinking, what's in it for me, and we move into an idea of costly grace, what if the church becomes less stratified and more nimble? And what if the church becomes less about me and what I like and what I got to have and more about how we bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to other people? And what if it's the best time in the history of St. John's Orange to rise up and go? I'd rather think those thoughts than what's in it for me. Because I really enjoy leading a congregation that's hungry and on point and generous with time and resources, and asking questions not about me and how I can be more comfortable, and can we get another air conditioning unit on the top of Walker Hall for that one Sunday, and people saying, how can I come out and help Pastor Trevor with vulnerable families and stand in the heat on a caregiver's weekend and make a difference in the life of somebody else? That's a cost I'm willing to incur and something for which I'm willing to pay. I know this slide's a little small, 
But this is the antithesis of the previous one, again, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Costly grace is the gospel, which must be sought again and again and again. The gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. It is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of His Son. Ye were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon His Son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered Him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Those two quotes changed my life. And instead of looking at what was free and easy caused me as a 37-year-old pastor who was in over his head to think a little bit more about the costs than the benefits of following Jesus. You see, nothing is free. Our redemption is not free. Bonhoeffer says here, and Jesus leads to, to that in, in, in Luke's gospel, especially as he moves into the next chapter, that the cost of our redemption was the Son of the Father, and the ransom for our lives was paid in the blood of Jesus. And to divorce Jesus from the cross in any way, shape, or form is to have cheap grace. But Christ on the cross for us and for the forgiveness, for the forgiveness of our sins is everything to God because of His great love for you. He didn't look and send a henchman or an angel or someone else. No one drew the, the bad straw around the table of heaven. Rather, God looked at His Son. He said, Jesus, you're out of here. I'm dispatching you to Mary and Joseph. And you're going to go through all the rigors. You're going to pay the price of everything. And when you're on that cross and you are completely poured out, it's then you will say, it is finished. And all of humanity will know that the price has been paid for them, and for their salvation. Why is grace so costly? Well, because it cost God the life of His Son. And it's in that Jesus that you can rest secure that the cost and the price has been paid for you and your salvation. Costly grace Nothing is free, but God was willing to pay everything for you. Just before the pandemic, I was able to go with the, uh, the, the, the senior group. We got on the bus. We went out to old Highway 66 and the museum out in Victorville. We stopped at the McDonald's up on, just as you get up over the Cajon Pass. And it's just, it's just cool. It's like no man's land out there, right? You get up there, it's like, I can see Vegas from here, right? It, it, it's, it's up and out. And I, I, I remember going to the Museum of McDonald's in San Bernardino. 
And there was a story going about a little town in the middle of nowhere called Amboy, California. And Amboy used to sit, well, it still sits on Route 66, but it, you go out there, it's kind of like a ghost town. And yeah, it's just something else. So, Pastor Tim, I, I kind of like to take the beaten path. And last Saturday, I, I, last Friday, I drove out with my wife to Phoenix, and, and we came to the turn in the road, and, and Barb said, which way do you want to go? And I said, well, I'm not sure how long we're going to have to wait while the tent is blown out. I think I'd like to go up through Yucca Valley and 29 Palms. And my wife looked at me, and she's so gracious. She goes, okay, honey, if you think that's cool. I'm like, I think that's cool. It saved us. We saved Barb. saved us about an hour, right? That wasn't too bad. But there was one point where you pull out of 29 Palms and, 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 well, you pull out of Yucca Valley into Joshua Tree and past Joshua Tree, and then it said, hang a left to go to Amboy, 40 miles. Now, you know what's between that sign and Amboy? Nothing. Nada. Nothing. Even your cell phone gets down to one tick. I mean, it, it, it's unreal. You push the button to scan in your radio and the thing just spins. It's great. It's the middle of nowhere. And when you get to Amboy, there are the salt flats. And it's the middle of nowhere. And the ground in those salt flats is, is all white with salt. And they're scraping the salt. And, and then they move the salt into uh, hopper cars for the train and move it wherever it's going. Jesus says, salt that loses its saltiness is no good. But in driving through Amboy, and if anybody has a black mug that says Amboy on it, I broke mine. But I'm not driving to Amboy to get another one. But if anyone has one, I'd probably be willing to pay the cost of $25 or a little more for that $12 mug. You say the word. Maybe I'd go 50 I don't know. Um, but saltiness is born in heat and dryness. We do not become resilient, persevering Christians living at the beach. But it's in the salty places of life, the hot and desolate places of human living, that we become salty and spicy and resilient and strong. And so we order our lives around Jesus, which costs us time and effort you came this morning on a Sunday, which is extremely difficult. Even for Trevor and I, we're saying it's very difficult to get up for. It's hot. The parking's trouble. It's just a whole different thing. It's easier to stay home. But you didn't. That's part of the cost. Ordering our lives around Jesus is about sacrifice, not about what's in it for us. And ordering our lives around Jesus has a cost of commitment. And it seems to me that when the culture is tangling up the church and Christians, it's that call to commitment that makes us counterculture or in some cases anti-culture. Because the commitment we make is not to ourselves, but the commitment to follow Jesus. And ordering our lives around Jesus brings us supernatural and impenetrable strength. I was never an economics major, I was a history major. 
part of that was I sat with Dr. Stolman my third year at Concordia and I said, how many credits do I need to graduate? And he said, well, you need one more credit in biblical languages than you would need in history to be able to graduate. And I'll talk to Dr. Kolb and they'll give you an independent study for two credits and you can finally graduate. Cool. But as a history major who studied the history of the church and European history, I think about the fact that the church thrives on the outliers of culture. And the history of the last 2,000 years is that when the church struggles, is then that it pays the price and reaps the benefit of a costly grace and being so different and seasoned and salty, so different than the blandness of the world. That the faith, costly though it may be, is received gracefully by those who are parched in a cultural morass of nihilism and emptiness. Saltiness is born in heat and dryness, not in comfort and convenience. And so what if it is a great season in our congregation? What if we're ready to go? What if, what if we're paying the price and we're ready to rip? Last Sunday was a great Sunday. We had so much fun. You guys had 300 people in here, and we had about 650, 700 outdoors, and it was so nice. My wife and I were sitting under the thing and back, and, and, and we had our grandson there and my son and daughter to our right, and, and uh, my, actually my, my son and daughter-in-law with our grandson, and and I kept looking and watching the people come in. And I thought, how great it is to have a young staff and a young team, right? Because they have the energy to get up and go. What if it's a great season because we're turning into the mission of the church? What if we're about training for what's ahead, not just trying to catch the next wave? But God is using this season to train us as a congregation for greater effectiveness in a more difficult culture? And what if we're more about being engaged in ministry and paying the price than being served? And what if the church going forward looks a little bit more like Micah and Carissa, Carrie and Elliot, than the Klinkenbergs? I guess those are acceptable costs for the one who gave everything I guess I, maybe we, can give some. I think we're rising up together, picking up our cross and following Jesus. Should you join me for a word of prayer? Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent your best, the costliest sacrifice you could give, you gave. Help us, Lord, to, to cling to that, in moments of dryness to, to hold on to your cross because it's for us and for our salvation that you died. So bless us in this next season, whatever it will be. We hold on to, 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 to you, but we do so joyfully and gracefully. Connect us to you, but connect us also to one another that our congregation would be strong and that leaning into you and to your grace, others would see the cost of which they were paid for 
and the blessing it is to pick up that cross every day and follow you. Thanks for hot weekends. Thanks for difficult situations. Thanks for moments where we don't always get what we want. Thanks that you call us to that salty place. But in that, you make us stand out like nothing else in the world. Bless us and go with us as we head into the fall. In Jesus' name, amen.